This is a Valerie Moss original podcast. Welcome back to part two, interview with an expat, born in Calgary, living in Qatar. Thanks for joining me for the second part of this two-part series. If you haven't listened to the first segment, I'd recommend you do this first to provide you background into today's conversation. Enjoy today's episode about the King of Qatar, weather, Muslim culture, teaching, shopping, and advice. Enjoy the show. So you filled out all your paperwork, you flew, how many hours is it to get over there? Oh, it's a horrible flight. It's like, um, you know, adding in all the stops and layovers like London or Frankfurt or whatever to get back and forth. Well, it would be Saskatoon, Toronto, probably Toronto, London, London, uh, Qatar. And, you know, a good flight would be about 25 hours. That'd be a decent That'd amount a of decent time in to, travel. Yeah, to, that's all the time in. And it's and a horrible one would be about 35 hours. So, Oi. Yeah, and so. it's nine and a half hours ahead? What is that? Yes. Approximately nine, nine hours. hours ahead. Yeah. Okay, so then you fill out all your paperwork, get all your health checks and everything done. And then, like, what about the schooling? So you apply, you get in. Were you interviewed over the phone? Or, like, what kind of application process was it? I or was. because of your friend, you kind of had a shoe-in, so did you expedite that process? No, no or? I still, uh, still went through the interview process. You know, uh, the dean of uh, the School of Business Studies at uh, College of the North Atlantic, um, uh, the, um, the lead instructor for the marketing program, um, interviewed me for the uh, position over the phone. Okay, so it was over the phone, or was it by video at all? Or? No, just over the phone. Yeah. Okay. And then... Um, then they gave me the package to accept the job, you know, pending, you know, all of the, you know, the criteria and the, right. you know, the checks, the, you know, police reports, all that kind of stuff. And, um, and then once all that information was in, well, then I was, uh, I was approved to come over. Right? Okay. So then I remember you telling me a bit about you were kind of in a complex or like in a protected we were in a, an Condo. apartment building. It's, uh, oh, know, apartment gen- building? Generally, um, and and also a villa. Because when Kathy was with me, then, then we got a villa. If you're a single person, that you were usually put into an apartment building. Okay. All of the, um, all of the facilities had security guards. Okay. So, and why was that? Well, it's just to keep, keep the order and keep the... Uh, um, just keep the people in the right places, you know, keep the, there's lots of workers in uh, Qatar doing the labor works, labor work, and, um, you know, they would, um, well, I don't know if it was ever a problem. Like, did um, you ever feel unsafe there? No, never. And, which you've told me lots of times, the, there was a bit of a hierarchy when it came to hiring, so... There was certain nationalities that did certain jobs there. Right, yeah. Right? And yeah. so there was a, not a pecking order, but definitely a hierarchy of who was. Yeah, it seemed like, uh, you know, people from Africa would be, you know, policing or security, you know, people from from uh, Naples would be, you know, working on air conditioning and, and that kind of so stuff. So HVAC and that. 
And yeah. then there was um, your driver. Of, lots of Filipino people that worked in, in the service industries. You know, okay. Waiters, waitresses. Drivers, like lots of the taxi drivers and truck drivers and stuff like that were from Pakistan or India. So you didn't drive there, did you? Did you have a car? I did for about six months, but it was just too hairy. I couldn't I couldn't handle it. And I got hit twice. I got rear-ended twice. And, uh, That's just because he was driving slow. That was that was <laughs> enough for me. So I cashed in. We're, I just leased thousands of cars on the road monthly. So we have lots of traffic in Calgary. You've been there. How does it compare to that? It compares where everybody wants to be first in line, and they will risk everybody's life in order to get by you. So they drive around you, through you, lots of honking horns. Absolutely. Like they basically are pushing you out of their way so they can get through. Right. Drive up on the sidewalk like it's crazy. Yeah, Kathy almost got, got run over on the sidewalk once. So there's a lot of, it's chaos, but you didn't actually see a ton of accidents. Oh yeah, no, we saw it. Oh, you did? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. So it was all all the time. And there was, you know, regular deaths, you know. There was? Yeah. Um, You were telling me too about like the policing, like they just can't control the traffic there unless it's like overpass or... You know, by Multinova or something like that? See, what they do with their... Um, the police have really hardly any authority because of the fact that they are not nationals. They're expats. So the police service is manned by expats, not by the national or not by the countries. So they would feel intimidated to pull over a, a cutlery and... You know, let's say perhaps give them a citation or a warning or for even speeding a, or yeah, reckless then driving. Because the cattery would phone his brother that knows so and so, and then that guy would be out of the country, and starving in Pakistan or or, or wherever. They'd be from. deported. Yeah, you know, like instantly. Or could be. Could be because yeah. they had connections. So what they did was instead of doing that, is they just did massive cameras speed cameras and that kinds of stuff and I think that's how they tried to control it. Of course if there was I mean and there was different levels of policing like one was for traffic, one was for like investigations and so they had different kind of structures as far as police services were concerned so you know and I'm not exactly sure um, yeah, so well, I mean, we don't need to get it, we don't need to get into yeah. it in depth, yeah. but it's interesting, right? Because there's the law was very difficult to um, basically process some of this because they weren't locals. Right. Right? So uh, maybe just give us a bit of background on, like, the king and the royalty that kind of oversees that. Well, the Althani family have been in in How do you say it? Althani. Althani, okay. Hamid bin Khalifa Althani is a member of the ruling Althani Qatari royal family. He was the ruling emir of Qatar from 1995 to 2013. The Qatari government now refers to him as His Highness, the Father Emir. Hamid seized power in a bloodless palace coup d'etat in 1995. During his 18-year rule, Qatari's natural gas production reached 77 million tons, making Qatar the richest country in the world per capita 
with the average income in the country, U.S., $86,440 a year per person. During his reign, several sports and diplomatic events took place in Qatar, including the 2022 FIFA World Cup, was to be held in the country. He established the Qatar Investment Authority. By 2013, it had invested over $1 billion around the world, most prominently in the Shard, Barclays Bank, Heathrow Airport, Harrods, Paris Saint-Germain FC, Volkswagen, Siemens, and Royal Dutch Shell. During Hamid's rule, Qatar hosted two U.S. military bases. It also remained close with Hamas and Iran. He supported and funded rebel movements, particularly in Libya and Syria, during the Abrid Spring. While maintaining political stability at the home, the Sheikh founded news media group Al Jazeera, through which he maintained his influence over the Arab world. He also played a part in negotiations between the U.S. and the Taliban. In June 2013, Hamid, in a brief televised address, announced that he would hand power to his four sons, Tamim bin Hamid al Thani. Been in power for you know a bunch of years. Says um, the Emir Al Thani um, handed the power over to his son, which he took from his father, okay? which is recently. Yeah. Okay. Um, the Al Thani Emir, when I was there, had a coup and took power from his father. Oh. However, the and then but then he handed it directly to his son. So it's just as I was leaving in twenty fourteen, his son took control as the emir. Okay. Okay. And you were saying uh, before there wasn't like really taxes on certain things, and the son now has pushed tax on gasoline and tax on. Yeah, prices have been rising. Uh, I mean, what I've heard, I don't have any proof, is that uh, the uh, uh, the apparent. Um, and and now the emir uh, is more of a fundamentalist than his father was. Okay, so I think maybe what he's going to try and do is sort of, you know, back up some of the some of the opening that that the initial emir gave. You know, like women uh, to permission to drive and to stuff drive like that. And, yeah. Right, which yeah. was all over the news. Yeah. So, uh, but it, it might change, or it might be. Um, established so that th- there can't be any backing up. But so you were talking about um, you're telling me a story one time when you guys were driving through. I think Jolene was with you, and you were kind of driving around like the king's palace or one of their compounds or commune areas, mm-hmm. and they were all watching you. Like you could tell that you're kind of a little too close to the the barriers, but they're quite the sight to see. Well, With yeah, the opulence, like you'd be just driving in the desert, and then all of a sudden it'd be like a huge oasis, just beautiful. You'd all pumped with. Oh water really? And, oh neat. Oh yeah, and uh, big palace in the middle of it, and so we drove through one once, and uh, 
Yeah, like a merry-go-round and like I mean, like a merry-go-round, right? You know, like wow. you see down in California kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, but it wasn't like an entertainment spot. You would stop and ride. No, this is right. all personal. This is their personal personal space. Property. And and I was kind of reprimanded by the guard, you know, when I when we were driving out because he didn't see me come in, but then he stopped me as I was going out, and he wasn't too happy with me not checking in or you know right that kind of thing. Eh? So. But so it what? Was, it was uh, beautiful. He had he had kind of animals. He had some. Uh, he had, of course, he had camels there. He had some um, um, ostriches and uh, um, you know just roaming cage, cages. No cages. Oh. you know, with all of these animals in it. You know. Wow, neat. So, um, so you were there for six or seven years, mm-hmm. and what did you learn the most? Like I remember talking to you on the phone. And, you know, here we always talk about the weather. So I remember when you first moved there, and I'm like, how's the weather? Hot. How's it today? Hot. Like, the weather never changes, plus 50 all the time. Like, it was super hot when you first moved there. And everywhere you went and everything you did was air-conditioned. Go from air-conditioning to air-conditioning. Yeah, pretty much in the summertime. Of course, you know, like, they did have some very comfortable weather. They have very comfortable weather for about six months of the year. And then and they get like a weird sandstorm and stuff and once get, in a while. And they get some storms and sandstorms and they get kind of cold and then, you know, and then it starts warming up and it's just, you know, gets really hot through the summer months, you know, like June, May, June, July, August, you know, they'll top out at 55 degrees Fahrenheit sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then um, kind of cools down again, you know, like when you get into October, November, and then December is perfect, 25 degrees every day sort of thing. Right? Oh, wow, so nice moderate. Yeah. So there's at least six, seven months of perfect weather, right? Qatar weather, climate, and geography. Qatar has dry, subtropical desert climate with a low annual rainfall and intensely hot and humid summers. Spring and autumn are the best times to visit Qatar when temperatures are warm but not hot and the evenings can be pleasantly cool. June to September is oven temperature hot and best avoided. The average temperature for June, July, and August is around 42 degrees Celsius, 108 Fahrenheit, but it's not unusual for the mercury to reach an eye-watering high of 50 degrees or 122 Fahrenheit. In the winter months, temperatures are cool but still warm, with the average around 23 degrees Celsius from December to February. Almost all rainfall occurs during the winter months, mostly in heavy cloudbursts and thunderstorms. Because Qatar is such a small country, there is little regional variation in the weather, although coastal areas may be slightly cooler than inland. Did you have any, like, politics and, like, bureaucratic issues to deal with working as an expat? Like, mm-hmm. were you ever... No, we were pretty much, um, well, we are we're, you know, it was, it was pretty laid back. It was, hey? Oh, so yeah. it's not like this big endeavor to... No, you just go home, you know. Try to work overseas when or... When I was living in the apartment, I'd go home, you know, I'd need some groceries, so I'd walk maybe six blocks a day the grocery store, pick up my, you know, pick up my supplies at the, the vegetable store, you know, go to the butcher, pick up something, you know, mm-hmm. uh, shopping was, fe- you know, they have all the brand names, whatever you want is there. 
And you were saying too, like they import everything. Yeah. Like they grow, do they grow anything there? They do they raise they, any? They do have uh, some farms there. Okay. And so there is like uh, some local uh, produce and some local meat okay. that you can get. Eh? And the quality? The produce quality is pretty good. Uh, <clears throat> the meat quality, because it's, um, it's Muslim. Muslim is someone who follows or practices Islam. Muslims consider the Quran their holy book to be the verbatim word of God as revealed to the Islamic prophet and messenger Muhammad. The majority of Muslims also follow the teachings and practices of Muhammad as recorded in traditional accounts. Muslim is an Arabic word meaning submitter to God. The beliefs of Muslims include that God, Arabic, is eternal, transcendent and absolutely one, that God is incomparable, self-sustaining, and neither begets nor begotten, that Islam is the complete and universal version of a primordial faith that has been revealed before through many prophets, including Abraham, Ishmael, Isaac, Moses, and Jesus that these previous messages and revelations have been partially changed or corrupted over time, and that the Quran is the final unaltered revelation from God, the final testament. In other words, the meat is always freshly killed, and so is normally tough. So just to kind of back up a little bit, your culinary background, you have um, experience and exposure to good quality meats and know what the cuts are. So to compare it to something like our aged beef here or pork, not that great. Yeah, uh, but, you know, when we went to um, the supermarket to get our meat, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be buying uh, meat from local. We'd be buying meat from... You know, wherever, you know, kind of thing. And so it was Carrefour's was the the big grocery store there. They're a big French a chain throughout everywhere. Carrefour, C-A-R-R-E-F-O-U-R, is a French multinational retailer headquartered in Boulogne-Billancourt, France, in the Haute de Seine department near Paris. It is one of the largest hypermarket chains in the world, with 12,300 self-service shops, including 1,528 hypermarkets, at the end of 2016. You know, we get uh, Australian beef and this kind of stuff and you know they knew how to handle and cut and, and provide plus when the meat was cooked over there it was stewed mostly it wasn't like barbecued sure, and yeah. like, like mean, how we would, would eat it here they would barbecue the the lamb and all that kind of stuff but the, generally most of it was stewed you know curry this and stew that or whatever right so you were an instructor over there and just give us a bit of an idea of how the um, the students would kind of work the system. Well, we used to do, uh, like, I uh, taught in the School of Business, and, and uh, we were teaching mostly in the um, 
the entrepreneurship and, uh, and marketing. Students were very good. They all had great senses of humor. They all liked to be entertained and have a good time. Um, and their English, was it an issue? It, English was difficult for a, for a lot of them. And, okay. um, and they were, they were, um, they were struggling a lot of the time. Okay. Because they, were, they didn't have the level of English in order to really effectively uh, deal with um, the studies. Um, memorize. Memorize a lot of the stuff and or just cheat. Okay. Lots of cheating. There was lots of cheating going on. Right. Someone would get a something and then they would share it with the whole class, right? Okay. And, and everything was always a negotiation because they're famous for negotiation. So it was like, um, it was like, um, sir, you know, can you give me an extra couple marks? Or, sir, if I get this mark, it's going to bring down my GPA. And, right. And so, like, I mean, they're always kind of hammering you for, for extra. And these marks. people that were coming to school, they were young adults because they were kind of going to college. Right, yeah. Yeah, they'd be and they came from money. Yeah, a lot of them had lots of money. And we're talking like a lot of money. Like yeah, they like would have Prada bags. Lot. Parking lot was full of Mercedes and BMWs and right. And you know, like even bigger than that, even more expensive than that. Right. Like one of the students was driving in a convertible uh, uh, Rolls Royce uh, or something. Yeah. Right. This yeah. is the student. Yeah. Right. So, is, what would be like your most learned lesson there, or like would there be anything that you could give people to say? Give this a shot. Give it a try. You know, if you're thinking about doing it, what would you, what would you suggest to them? Well, I would say like embrace the opportunity to go to the Middle East and just, uh, you know, get uh, you know drench yourself in the culture because it's it's very beautiful. Like I mean, they're very friendly and and giving people and you know like I mean, it would just be a, a good opportunity to. Uh, to experience that. And how old were you when you decided to take this venture? Well, I would have been like, um, I guess it would be about 10 years ago, so I would have been in my early 50s. So you're in your early 50s, so you're still like fully working. You weren't like in retirement mode at the time. No, and not at all, no. Right. So and it, it was, wasn't... It was an opportunity for me too to, you know, sort of switch gears, you know, get into something else, mm-hmm. which is nice to do. It's nice to have a career change. You know? Right. Yeah. And uh, I really quite enjoyed that. Okay. Anything you want to say in closing? Uh, no, not too much. No? no? It's like, it's all good. good. Yeah. Well, thank you for um, being interviewed and yeah. sharing that part of your career with me and living in Calgary. Thank you very much for talking with me, too. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for listening to today's episode. If I've left anything out or you'd like to learn more about Michael's tenor in Qatar, let me know. Let me also know what you think about my podcast by leaving me a comment or rating in iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Blueberry, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Music for this show is provided through GarageBand, and due to Michael's love for playing bass guitar, we've chosen offbeat, auto, wah, guitar. The intro and outro for this podcast is recorded by London Moss. The podcast is produced by me, Valerie Moss, through GarageBand and WordPress. 
Coming up on the next episode, I will be reviewing a few Calgary restaurants and our amazing and not-so-amazing experiences. The Calgary Tower, Wellington's, and the Stadium Keg. Thanks for listening. Visit ValerieMoss.ca for more information.